With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So... If you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now. Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. Listener discretion is advised. On the morning of September 16, 2016, Todd Kenthammer called 911 to report that a pipe had flown into the windshield of his vehicle and struck his wife. He told authorities that the pipe had rolled off a flatbed truck that was driving the opposite direction. It turns out that none of that was true. This is Monsters. I want to thank everyone who listens to the podcast. This is going to be the final episode of Season 2. There will be a break of a couple of weeks between now and Season 3, but I will be putting up a bunch of bonus content. I also put the podcast up on YouTube, where I also have other videos, usually shorter than the podcast episodes, which get posted there regularly. I'm going to start posting those every day or two so that you have something to listen to while I prep for Season 3. Thanks again for your support. Todd and Barbara Kenhammer had been married for 25 years and had two adult children. At his trial, Todd testified in his own defense, where he talked about their relationship. When did you meet Barb Kenhammer? I met Barb in 1986. And 
what was Barb's maiden name? Barbara Carol Adams. And uh, by the way, is, is are Barb's parents still alive? Barb's mother is. And is she here? Yes, she is. She's sitting in the front row. What were the circumstances, or under what circumstances, did you meet Barb? I was um, at her brother's wedding at the time when I met Barb. And who was her brother? David Adams, the guy sitting right next to Barb's mom and his mom. And why were you at the wedding? Um, He married my cousin. David married my cousin, Rhonda. And tell the jury about meeting Barb on that day. I was a... I wasn't a real outgoing, um, into sports and stuff. Was more of the, you know, doing things in the shop and like that. And, um, we went to the wedding because we have a very tight knit family. And Barbara was at her junior prom and she came in with a couple of her friends. And when she walked in, I went to my cousin Rhonda and asked her who it was. Um, there was something. Just the way she was, to, to, I talked to her a little bit. Um, it was a picture book saying, I mean, just one of these things where you you know immediately um, that's the girl you want. That's the girl I'm, I want to talk to. I want to get to know this girl. And that's the feeling that I had the first time I met Barb. Todd and Barbara met as teenagers, and since she had a boyfriend when they met, it was a few years before they actually started dating. But that led to marriage and 25 years together. Over that time, they had developed a routine. I'd like for you to describe for the jury a typical day for you and Barb in 2016. If I worked or if I was off? What would be typical? Well, Well, let's do one of each. Okay. okay. If I didn't work, I always got up with Barb um, when she was getting ready. um, I would help. I'd make oatmeal. If she was going to eat breakfast, she had oatmeal or yogurt or honey and toast. Um, and I would always make that when she got close to being ready um, I would always make her breakfast for her Um, we'd get ready we'd talk a little bit if she was ready early Um, I would take her to work and then I would do different things while she was at work and when she got done with work um, if she had something that she didn't like at work for lunch that day we'd always go get a a little snack or something after work and then um, We'd either go home, take a walk, go home, make supper, um, go home, mow lawn, um, go home and eat supper, and then go get ice cream. Um, and we'd sit down, maybe take another walk after dinner, and then we'd just watch a little TV and go to bed. If I worked, um, when she got done with work, I would always get up with her in the morning still, but she, I would be gone before she'd get ready and stuff. Um, I always called her. Um, I knew when her breaks were. So I would either take break when her breaks were and call her or text her. Or um, when she got done with work, I'd always call her a little bit after 2 o'clock. See how her day was and talk and stuff. Um, she always had a big dinner made when I got home. Always had something big to eat. It wasn't ever, you know, a frozen meal or like that. It was always something she loved to cook. Um, I'd come home from work. We'd eat dinner. Usually it'd be, we'd take a walk, and then that would be our night. Sometimes we'd go for ice cream. But um, usually when, she, when I was off work, we'd do the ice cream thing. That was our usual routine. At first, this could seem sweet, but when I really think about it, it seems either controlling or codependent. 
he would call her on every one of her breaks, and then when she got off work. At another point in his testimony, he described them being at each other's side for literally everything. It might be innocent. My wife and I enjoy doing things together, but every minute of every day, including any time she had a break from work, that just seems excessive. Barbara worked at West Salem Middle School in the cafeteria, which had a set Monday through Friday schedule. Todd worked at Crown Cork and Seal, running a machine that printed labels on soda cans. His schedule was a 12-hour shift that was four on, four off. This is why he explained what his routine was depending on if he worked or not. Todd also replaced windshields from his own home garage on the side, something he said Barbara helped him with, of course. The couple had also invested in some real estate, flipping some houses and building a couple of new ones. Do you know what it means to flip a house? Yes. What does it mean? You... You go in and purchase a house, hopefully at a lower price, remodel it, do what you want to do, and then sell it to make money on it. And did you ever do that? Yes, we did. I asked you if you did, and you said, yes, we did. Is this something you did with Barb? Yes. Tell the jury a little bit generally about what you and Barb did together with respect to these houses. We, um, the first one we did was a uh, complete foreclosure um, we go together, we'd look at it, um, we determined if it was probable or not, the neighborhood and stuff. And then um, Barb was my, tear this wall out, tear that wall out, we'll do this, we'll do that. And then we determined if we wanted to purchase it and how much we wanted to pay for it. And um, if it was something we could get and we did, then we worked together on it on demo and remodel. And um, she would always tidy everything up with um, like staging it and colors and like that. How many times did you do this? We did six houses. And I, I believe I heard in the interview of you with the sheriff's office that one was a new home? Yes, two of them were new homes. And when you say new home, does this mean that you built them from the ground up? Yes. Each time that you did this, were you successful in making a profit? We weren't out to get rich off it. It was more of a hobby to keep us together and do things together. And we would make a little bit of money off them, yes. Todd testified that they had good credit and were not in financial trouble, which was a theory as to the motive of his crime. It's believed that the couple got into an argument over unpaid bills, which escalated to violence. Todd claimed that he had made arrangements with a co-worker to pick up a truck, take it back to his home, and replace the windshield. On September 16th, he said that he and Barbara were on their way to pick up the truck, and then Barbara would take the car to work. A surveillance camera on a business caught the Ken Hammer's Toyota Camry traveling north on Jawstead Cooley Road, about a mile south of Burgum Cooley Road. Todd claimed that, just south of Burgum Cooley Road, a pipe flew into the windshield of their car and hit Barbara. He said he tried to remove the pipe while Barbara was flailing next to him before turning east onto Burgum Cooley Road, where he stopped the car about 100 yards or 90 meters down the road. When he stopped the car, he claimed to have accidentally put the car in reverse instead of park and the car rolled backward into a ditch. He then got out of the car and somehow removed the pipe which he threw in the grass behind the car. 
Then he pulled Barbara out of the car and laid her on the ground next to the car where he tried to perform CPR. He claimed that he did that for around five minutes before he finally called 911. Tell me exactly what happened. He got her and she's hitting the head and in the throat, I think, in the throat or something. She, she's got blood coming out of her nose and mouth and coolers for red, big and blue. How old is she? 46. Is she awake? No, I can't get her to her. She talked that first a little bit. Okay, is she breathing? No, I don't think so. No. All right, sir. We do have help on the way. Stand How long? Stay. How long? You're in the road. I want you to stay right where you're at, sir. I'm going to try to do something with it. Yep, we're going to... I'm going to put the phone down. I'm going to... Can you get her out of the vehicle, sir? I, I got her out. Okay, I, I want you to lay her flat on the ground. I got her flat. I'm not going to stay, but I don't know what to do with this. Okay, listen carefully. I'm going to tell you how to do test compressions. Place the heel of your hand on her breastbone. Right yeah, between her nipples. I know how to do that. Right-handed top. I know how to do that. Pump the chest hard and fast. At least he got blood coming out of his mouth. That's okay. Go ahead and pump it twice per second and two inches deep, okay? Okay. Let's right, the chest come up all the way between the pumps. I'll come back in a minute. Okay, keep going, sir. Paramedics arrived and took Barbara to the hospital. While they were preparing for her transport, investigators arrived and took pictures of the scene, as well as pictures of Todd. He had scratches on his neck and chest, as well as abrasions on the knuckles of both hands. His left hand had major abrasions, and his right hand had only minor damage. At this time, the incident was being investigated as an automobile accident, so Sergeant Mark Yaley drove Todd to the hospital where Barbara had been taken. While en route, his dash cam was recording the audio. Okay, why don't you quickly just tell me for a minute and, here. And he was coming this way. We were coming this way. And it was an older, like a bigger flatbed-looking truck, yeah. like a pickup truck with a flatbed on it. What color was the cap? I don't yeah. even remember. It was darker. I don't, that's all I know, dark green or dark blue, okay. black. You know, it was a Chevy Ford. I, I didn't even look, yeah. really. I... I we were dicking around and she was drinking water and we were screwing around, not, you know, talking and bullshitting and, and I, and looked up and, and I, I'd seen the thing coming and okay. I don't know if I tried to stop it or what I tried to do, but, um, I, I reached out for it and it hit her and I didn't think it hit her at first because I was dicking with my, I hit the windshield, I was dicking with my hand and she started flailing really bad. Just okay. so I quick turned into here. And I was trying to stop the car, and I was trying to pull the pipe, get the pipe away from her. And I, I hit the damn thing in reverse, and that's how I ended up in the ditch. And then I got all quick, and, and she was bleeding out of her mouth and her nose really bad. Okay. And I, I tried to do Was the pipe in her at that time? Or? No. I pulled the pipe out going down the road. Okay. And, and it was hitting the windshield, and I pulled that out. And when I got down there and I got in the, in the ditch, I pulled her out and tried doing and my first aid at work and okay. I, I, I tried doing first aid cpr but i didn't know if i could because of all the blood so i called right away and then i started cpr right away he said that he called right away but he didn't he says in other interviews that he waited about five minutes which is supported by the time his car is captured on surveillance and the time he called 911. this is not the only time todd would say something that would later be revealed to be not true so can I kind of get an idea of what was going on this morning? What time did you get up? 
just normal time. We get up normal time, 630. 630? Yeah. Okay. And we're coming north because of... I was going to go over to Holman and see that I'm going to put a windshield in a truck for, for a guy. In Holman? And we were, we were going over there last night just to see if he was around, and he wasn't. So I was going to run over this morning and see if we could get it. And do it before we went, because we're going to be gone all weekend. So. Is the windshield you're going to replace in somebody's driveway? In his truck. I was going to take it to my house. Okay. She usually goes with me and drops me off, and she goes to work, and then I go pick the windshield up. And I have it there, so when she's done work, she helps me set it. So the two of you left about 6.30 this morning? No, no, we don't leave our house till 7.30 <coughs> okay. or to 8. Two of you are going to go over to this guy's house. Yeah. She was going to take this car back. Yeah, and I was going to take the truck back. back. If it was there, if it wasn't, I was going to take her to work and we'd do that a lot. And I'm, no, I didn't call him. I don't call him. Just, I was going to stop by it. Okay. We've had it set up for a month to do. It's not a big hurry for it. And I was just going to swing over and if it was there, grab it. I haven't even, uh, it's been sitting in my garage. The windshield's been sitting in my garage for a month. He said that he went out to try to pick up the truck the previous night, but nobody was home, so they weren't able to. That was a complete lie. Todd didn't even know where the person who owned the truck lived. Todd Kendhammer's story changed many times between what he said at the scene, what he said during police interviews, and what he said at trial. His initial story was that he was going to the home of a co-worker named Justin Heim, where he was going to pick up a truck and take it back to his house to replace the glass. That wasn't true. Do you have any vehicles that need a windshield? No, I've never owned a, wind- a vehicle with bad glass ever. Okay, so back in September of 2015, none of your vehicles nope. needed a windshield? Have you ever had a conversation with Todd Kenhammer about keeping your vehicle in the driveway with keys in it? My personal vehicle? Yes. No. Have, did you make arrangements with him to leave your vehicle or anyone else's vehicle no. with the keys in it? No. Are you aware of any reason why Todd Kenthammer would have been coming to your house on the morning of September 16th of 2016? No. To your knowledge, has he ever been to your house? No. Was Ben Paff's vehicle at your house in September of 2016? No. So his story changed to him saying that it was Justin's friend, Ben Paff, who needed the windshield. But that wasn't true either. And earlier that year, had you talked to Mr. Ken Hammer about a friend needing a windshield? Yes. Who was that friend? Ben Paff. And did you talk to Ben about this windshield? <laughs> yes. And what did he tell you? Uh, he said he did not... Objection, Judge. That's hearsay. Overruled. You can answer. He said he did not want to have it done because uh, it's just a farm truck and it was not a top priority for him. Okay. So it was just left at that. So then did you have any subsequent conversations with Todd Kenhammer about that windshield? Uh, after I spoke with Ben, I told Todd that Ben was not interested in having the windshield replaced, and that was pretty much left at that. Do you remember about when that was? Mm, it was weeks that it went by, I would have to say, because I don't see Ben on a regular basis, and he's busy, he's hard to get a hold of, 
So it had been it had been some time and went by. Was this conversation that you had related to that windshield close to September of 2016? No, it was uh, before that. Do you have any estimate on the time? Probably months, okay. a couple months prior okay. to that. Okay. And when you told Todd Kenhammer that Ben wasn't interested in the windshield, what did he say to you? Uh, okay, pretty much. So Todd changed his story a third time and said that it was someone else named Jerry Logging who needed the windshield. Justin never needed a windshield from you, did he? Justin said he needed a windshield in the lunchroom at Crown one day, yes. Did Justin Heim personally need a windshield from you? Justin Heim was going to purchase a windshield from me, yes. When you were informed that Justin Heim was talked to and didn't back up your story, you then said it was his friend who needed the windshield, right? I don't recall if I said that or not. You don't remember watching the video here with the police? I watched several videos, yes. Do you remember telling them that it was his friend who lived somewhere else, it wasn't Justin Heim himself? I may have said that, yes. You did say that, didn't you? I, I don't recall for sure if that's how I worded it or not. Well, the police then found Ben Paff, correct? Yes. Ben Paff did not need a windshield from you, right? No. And now today you have a third story, right? No. I have, I have the second story. You told police first that you were going to Holman to Justin Heim's house, correct? Yes. Justin Heim didn't need a windshield and wasn't even home that day. You then said you were driving to his friend's house, right? No. You never said that? No. Not that I recall. Okay. Well, it wasn't Justin Heim or Ben Paff. Now it's somebody named Jerry Logan? Yes. It was that all along. Well, it's not what you said, though, is it? No, it's not. You said that you were driving to look for a truck, but you really had no idea where the truck actually was. I had an idea where it was, yes. Did you ever talk to Jerry Logan about his truck? No. Do you know where Jerry Logan lives? Not exactly, no. So you were driving around looking for a person that you hadn't talked to and don't know where he lives, right? Correct. On a day that Barbara has to go to work? Correct. Todd has changed his story so many times that he can't seem to keep them straight. He claims that he was always supposed to replace Jerry Logging's windshield. He just told the police it was someone else for no apparent reason. Well, the Jerry Logging story wasn't true either. This is him. Had you talked to Mr. Kenthammer about fixing a windshield on that truck in no. 60? Um, do you have two brothers that work at Crown Cork and Seal with Mr. Kenthammer? Yes. Are you close to them? Mm, not really. Did you talk to them at all about needing a windshield for that truck? No. Had you had that windshield in that truck replaced or fixed? I've had it fixed, yes. When was that? That was in 2014 in December. I had uh, my insurance company took care of it. I had full coverage on the truck. There was a rock chip in it. They fixed it. They uh, had one small rock chip below the wiper that they didn't do, and it's still there. Uh, do you know a person named Chad Tollefson? Yes. Are you close to him? No. Did you talk to him in 2016 about needing a windshield for your truck? No. In September of 2016, 
Well, at any time in 2016, did you talk to Todd Canhammer or anybody else about needing a windshield for your truck? No. The other detail that comes up in this case a lot is that Barbara was late for work. Barbara was supposed to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning, and she was known to be very punctual. So much so that her supervisor called her at 8.02 to check up on her. So, Todd is claiming that he and Barbara were driving around aimlessly looking for a truck to pick up for someone he didn't know where they lived, making Barbara late for work, and she didn't call in to say she was going to be late, something she had never failed to do in the past. That seemed suspicious, so Todd told the police that she started working at 8.30, but that was another lie. You told the police from the very start that Barb worked at 8.30, right? I did tell them that, yes. You lied about that too, right? I didn't lie. She didn't work at 8.30, right? There were mornings she started at 8.30. She was supposed to work that day at 8, Yes. Right? You said a typical day off for you, you would drive her to work, right? Correct. You'd get up with her, get her water together, right? Yes. Then you'd call her to work, or you'd drive her to work, right? Yes. And in September, that entire school year so far, every day was 8 o'clock, right? Yes. There was no 8.30 time in there, right? Nope. And she couldn't just not show up at 8.30, right? She'd have to call. If she was going to be significantly late, yeah. Can you identify which day that fall she worked at 8.30? No, I can't recall. Well, there aren't any, are there? There was days that she started late. Would you like to see her time records again? I don't need to, no. Well, just to make sure, let's... Okay, 76 is her work records from that September. Can you show me a day in there where she worked at 8.30? Well, um, I can't show you a day that she worked at 8.30, no. Good, thank you. But I, I can also, okay, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, thank you. Todd then completely agreed with the prosecutor that Barbara knew she needed to be at work at 8 o'clock. You know that her work called at 8.02. You heard that testimony, right? Yes. They knew she had to be at work at 8, right? Yes. Is it possible Barb just didn't know for the first time that year she had to work at 8.30 instead of 8? No. She knew she had to be there at 8, right? Yeah. And at about 5 minutes to 8, the two of you were driving north on County M, right? Correct. And she didn't call in to work, did she? Not know. She would have been late, and she knew it. Yes. She wasn't able to call because she wasn't physically able to call, correct? She would have been able to call, yes. Well, you'd already heard her at that time, hadn't you? No. I did not hear Barb. Her purse was all located in the back seat on the seat, correct? Correct. She couldn't have called if she wanted to. She couldn't even reach her phone. She could have reached her phone. In the back seat? Sure. Do you have a reason why she wouldn't call in when she knows she's got to work at 8 and there's no way she's going to make it by 8? I don't have a reason. That would be out of character for her, wouldn't it? Yes. She was a punctual worker. Yes. Worked on time all the time. Yes. If she was late, she'd call in. Yes. On the day that she died, she didn't do the one thing that she always did. Yes. You don't find that odd? I find... A lot of things odd, yes. You have no explanation for that, though? I do not have an explanation for that, no. I can't figure out what's going through Todd's head during this entire situation. 
He tells the police any random thing that comes to his head, and then when he's shown proof he was lying, he agrees with it. Like this interaction regarding the scratches on his body. When the police noted scratches on your neck, you first said that that was from working with glass, correct? I said that, yes. You don't work with glass at Crown, do you? No. And you work with windshields, but that's not the same as working with broken glass, right? I assume when you install windshields, you're not getting scratched up from broken glass. It depends how bad it's broken. Well, were these scratches from glass? No, not not from glass doing at home. You said it was from working with glass. Correct, I said that. That was a lie. It wasn't a lie. It was not true. It was not true. Scratches were from her trying to get you off of her, weren't they? Nope. The two of you were fighting and she was scratching your neck? Nope. She was scratching your neck, her neck, her nail broke. Looks like a fight, doesn't it? No. Not at all? Well, it might look like it, but it wasn't. It wasn't a lie. It was not true. Those are back-to-back statements from Todd Kenthammer. Then there was this. You said to the police you drove around Thursday night, too, looking for it, right? I said that. You said you went to Holman and up to Mindoro, right? I said that, yes. That wasn't true, was it? No. You never drove anywhere Thursday night, right? I drove home from work. After that, you never drove anywhere, right? I don't recall. You don't recall if you drove anywhere Thursday night? No, I do not. Do you remember telling the police you did? Yes. Did you? I don't recall if I drove anywhere Thursday night after I got home from work. I went to the Michael and Jessica's house after work, and then I recall I went home. But I don't recall if I went anywhere after that. Where would you have driven? We go for rides all the time. Did you? I don't recall if I did or not. Well, that was another lie, wasn't it? It was not a lie. You were telling the police a story that they would go chasing, and you couldn't explain why you were driving north, correct? At that time, I could not explain no. For three and a half hours, they told you that story didn't make any sense, and you still kept saying the same thing, right? Yes. Three and a half hours, you never brought up, you know, maybe I don't remember... Maybe it was a guy named Logan. You stuck to that story, right? There was another, yes. You even told them, I'm 100% of my story, right? Yes. How was that not a lie? He just testified that he was lying and then says he wasn't lying. There were so many details of Todd's story that didn't match the evidence. When he was questioned about the injuries on his hands, he claimed that he punched the windshield when he saw the pipe coming at the car. Now, you said to the police that a pipe came off the truck. Do you remember that? I did say that, yes. You said it a number of times, didn't you? I did, yes. You actually said that you saw it as it came off the truck, right? I did one time, yes. You said it rolled off the truck, right? I thought so, yes. Now, today you said you didn't know what it was until after it hit the car, right? Yes. You thought it might be a bird at first? Yeah. Did you think a bird would come through the windshield? You wouldn't have to hit your fist at the windshield for a bird, would you? No. If you didn't know what it was until after it was in the car, why would you need to hit the windshield? Because I did say at one point that it was a pipe. Well, you said at one point, but did you see a pipe coming at you through the air? I did. Yes, I did see a pipe coming. At what point? I couldn't tell you. I don't remember. It went pretty fast, right? Yes. And if at first you didn't even recognize it, you had even less time to react, right? Yes. 
And you motioned on direct examination of how you punched the windshield, and you motioned with your left arm across your body up towards the windshield, right? That's how I thought it was, yes. But you had marks on all eight knuckles of your fist, right? Yes. And injury to your thumb, right? Yes. You think reaching over your body, you wouldn't just hit the back of your hand? I don't know. Well, it's because it didn't happen, right? Yes, it did happen. You punched the windshield with enough force that quick because you thought you saw a pipe coming at the windshield? Yes. And you didn't react in front of you or reach out for Barb? You punched the windshield? Yes. With both hands? With one hand, for sure. Well, how the injuries get on the other hand, then? I don't know. I don't remember. The bulk of the injuries were on his left hand. He did testify that he was right-handed. So, as he saw something coming at the windshield, at times he said he thought was a bird, at other times he said he saw the pipe roll off the truck, he punched at the object, which was going toward the passenger side of the vehicle, his far right, so he used his left hand to punch across his body to the right. He said once during his police interview that he might have punched with both hands, but most of the time he maintained that his right hand was on the steering wheel. So how did those injuries happen? He doesn't know. Most of his answers are, I don't know, or I don't recall. Other unanswered questions were, crime scene investigators found a bloody fingerprint on the left side of the rearview mirror. Todd couldn't explain how that got there. There was glass in the car shifter, but if the windshield broke while the car was in drive, most of that area would have stayed clean when he pushed the shifter up into park, making it appear as though he broke the glass when the car was already in park. There were no glass shards in the passenger side door pocket, which meant the windshield was most likely broken while the door was open. There were glass shards all over the passenger seat, but none on Barbara, which meant the windshield was most likely broken when she was already out of the car. There was no blood on any part of the pipe, and they found traces of the same rusty dirt that was on the pipe in the trunk of the car. They also found a blade of grass that matched the grass where the car was in the ditch, stuck in the seal of the trunk, meaning the trunk had been opened and closed after it was stopped in the ditch. On top of that, police checked the surveillance video that had captured the Kendhammers and only saw four other cars pass by in the time around when the incident would have occurred. None of them matched the description given by Todd of a flatbed truck with metal sidewalls. Investigators did a pipe drop test, trying to recreate the conditions that caused the incident and couldn't. The 53-inch, 10-pound piece of pipe fell too quickly to be in line with the windshield of the Camry for the length of time Todd described. Todd had initially said that the pipe bounced on the ground and then hit the windshield, which could never happen based on the weight of the pipe. But in all subsequent interviews, he said that it never hit the ground. Again, multiple stories, which Todd has no idea why he changed. None of these details could be explained by Todd. Another problem was that someone testified to seeing the car on the road that day. When you arrived on Bergen Cooley Road, did you see anything? Yes, I did. There was a vehicle that looked like it was doing a Y-turn on Bergen Cooley. And what do you mean you said it looked like it was doing a Y-turn? Why do you say that? Because the back end was backed into the ditch and the front end was towards the center of the road. Were you able to get by the vehicle on Bergen Cooley Road? Yes. 
How fast were you driving? Um, I saw the vehicle there about four to five miles an hour. Were you able to see into the car? Yeah, as I looked into the windshield as it was going by it, I could see the passenger door was open. And so I just kind of went up to the job site from there. When you say you saw the passenger door open, did you see that once you got past the car, or could you see it through the windshield or the driver's side? I saw it through the windshield. As I was just driving by, I could see glance in and see the passenger was open, so I thought maybe there was two people in the vehicle, if they were just walking. So I didn't see anyone, so I went up to the job site. As you drove by, did you hear anything? No, I did not. Did you see any damage to the windshield? No, I did not. As I looked through it, to look through that at that angle, seeing the door was open, I saw no damage whatsoever. A man named Randy Erler drove by and saw the car. Didn't see anybody due to Todd having Barbara on the ground on the passenger side of the car behind the door. But he also didn't see any damage to the windshield. You did not see Randy Erler drive by? No. You did not hear him drive by? No. Did not hear a truck going past your car? No. You told police that nobody would stop for you? They wouldn't. Well, he would have if you called. (laughs) Okay. If I would have seen him drive by, I definitely would have called. You said you were hollering and hollering for help, right? When the first responder went by, yes. Well, before that, you weren't. Mr. Earler didn't hear anything. I don't think Mr. Earler would have heard it with his windows up. He said his windows were down. Okay. I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what time Mr. Earler went by. Well, he said between eight o two to eight o four, he got to his work site, which was only a minute away. He must have got there before you called nine one one, right? Maybe yes. On the nine one one call, you sound pretty frantic. Yes, I was. But it took you a couple of minutes to do that, right? Yes, it did. If you were talking on the phone that way, likely Mr. Earler would have heard that, right? Yes. He didn't though, because. Were you keeping her down the ditch and trying to shut her up? No. You didn't have an arm across her throat causing a fracture to the cricoid? No. You didn't have your finger across her lips causing bruises on the inside of her lips? No. But you just didn't hear Mr. Earler drive by? No. Help was five feet away and you had no idea? No. The prosecutor refers to Todd having been holding Barbara down and had his hand over her mouth causing bruises on the inside of her lips. He's referring to the testimony of the medical examiner. And you can see this large area of purple-red bruising or contusion on the inside surface of the upper lip. Other things you can note in here, again, is you see the hemorrhaging around the eyes, and then there is uh, that uh, abraded contusion kind of between the brows there as well. Looking at the injuries uh, to Barbara's mouth and lips, Were there any injuries that you noted on the outside of her lips? There were no significant external injuries. The injuries were really on the inside of the lips. Were her teeth damaged at all? I did not see any evidence of injury or fracture to the teeth, no. Did you see any injuries to the lips that had a curved or linear pattern like would be you'd find at the end of a pipe? No, I did not. Could these injuries be caused from flailing? Well, these injuries are blunt impact injuries. So 
What that means is that a blunt object either struck the mouth or the mouth hit into a, struck, a, a blunt object. Um, I can't tell you definitively how that happened. Theoretically, it could be possible from failing, how, from failing to strike your face into a blunt object, but I would think it would be, have to be pretty forceful to generate this amount of bruising on the inside of the lips. How does someone get bruising on just the inside of their lips with no visible injuries to the outside of the mouth? The prosecutor claims that it was from having pressure put on her mouth, which caused the inside of her lips to push against her teeth. And so you've said that you found uh, palpable nasal uh, fractures. How much force does it take to break someone's nose? I cannot give you a definitive number for that. It, it varies on the individual and how they're falling and things like that. But it does take some force to cause a fracture, obviously. And did you see anything in the nasal area or in the forehead that would resemble uh, Mrs. Kenhammer being struck by a pipe? I did not see anything with a curvilinear pattern to suggest that the end of a pipe struck her forehead or nose, no. I'm going to go back a minute to these lip photos. Um, you said that it was a blunt force trauma. Could that also be, could pressure to those lips cause those injuries? Yes, if you had intense pressure over the lips, um, pushing the lips against the teeth, for instance, um, that is in itself a form of blunt force trauma, yes. So could you give an example of pushing the lips over the teeth, what would that mean to you? For instance, if someone had either, you know, a quick push would be, for instance, a blow to the mouth, such as a punch or something like that. But a more prolonged pressure, such as someone holding their hand against the mouth and pushing against the teeth and mouth could cause this injury to the lips as well. The medical examiner didn't find any injuries that matched the pipe. She says that she didn't find any injuries with a curvilinear pattern, but also one end of the pipe had threads. That would have made a distinct pattern, but nothing like that was found. This is a picture of the back of Mrs. Ken Hammer's head, and these, these are the three lacerations that I described earlier. So she's, the top of her head is in this direction, and her neck is down here. So this is the left back side of the head, and there was a three-quarter inch laceration there. And then on the right side, it's a little difficult to see here, but there's two lacerations right next to each other. What would cause these type of lacerations? And these are blunt impact injuries, so they could be caused by something striking the head. Alternatively, they could be caused by the head being falling or striking or pushing into something as well that's blunt and firm. About how many impacts do you think would have caused these three lacerations? I think it's likely that there are at least two, if not three, impacts here. Because this site is somewhat separate from these two clustered, I can't say definitively if this represented one you know, injury against an uneven object, but I do feel there are at least likely two injuries or two impacts here. According to Todd, Barber was struck in either the head, chest, or neck. He wasn't sure by the pipe that flew into the windshield of his car. How does she get two or three blunt force injuries to the back of her head? Todd claimed that she was flailing around after she was struck, 
but could she whip her head back hard enough to create those injuries which were described by the M.E. as full depth, meaning they were down to the bone? Could they have caused all the other injuries? Barbara had bruises and scratches all over her body. Her arms, chest, legs, and back all had various small injuries. The medical examiner stated that they were not consistent with Todd's story. Because of that, the defense argued that Barbara was moved from the grass to up near the road. Then she was put in the ambulance. Then she was transferred to the hospital bed. He suggested that she could have gotten the injuries from all of that. Because of that line of questioning, he opened the opportunity for the prosecutor to do this. You were asked if things could be consistent with uh, pulling, yanking her out of the car or moving her from place to place. Um, could some of her injuries also be consistent with a beating? Yes, sir. And some of her injuries certainly could be consistent with an assault or beating as well, yes. Consistent with blood force trauma from a fist? Yes. Consistent with strangulation? It could be, yes. Specifically, the injuries to her hands. Would you classify those at all as defensive wounds? I personally don't use the term defensive wounds, but those injuries on the hands could be consistent with someone who was using their hands in a way to defend themselves, yes. And the abrasions, uh, multiple abrasions to the neck, uh, would you say that it's possible that those come from fingernails? And in what manner would you, if it's true, in what manner would that be? It's certainly possible that they could come from fingernail scratches. Um, there's a couple different ways those fingernail scratches could form. One is an assailant could scratch at the neck depending on how their, uh, how the assault is occurring. Um, but also very consistently described in some cases of strangulation are fingernail scratches that actually are there from the, the victim. Because when you have something around your neck, um, uh, your response is going to be to try to get it away from your neck. So if you're grabbing and clawing at something, you can then scratch and cause these linear parallel patterns of scratches on the neck. One of the injuries that the prosecutor focused on in this case was the injuries to Barbara's neck. She had scratches on her neck and had a broken hyoid bone. It's extremely rare for this bone to break and is commonly associated with strangulation. But Todd claimed that Barbara's head went forward and she hit her neck on a large plastic mug that she had been drinking water out of. Todd insisted that Barbara died as the result of being hit by a pipe through the windshield. He just couldn't keep track of all the lies he had told and had no explanation for the inconsistencies in his story. There were a number of times where you tried to manipulate the police, didn't you? Explain manipulate. Well, you're lying about a work schedule, right? No. You said a number of times she had to be at work at 8.30. You never said 8. No. Even though you knew every other day she worked at 8. Yes. Never once mentioned that, did you? No. You hoped they wouldn't check it out? No, I didn't. You were vague about where the pipe came in and what it did because it never happened that way, right? It did happen that way, to the best of my knowledge. You described a flatbed truck as a 2000 truck era, dark color, not white, pocket size, 18 inches to 2 feet. That sounds pretty detailed, doesn't it? It does sound detailed. You thought more detail would make your lie more believable. I was trying to help. 
trying to help by sending the police on a wild goose chase? Um, no, not sending them on a wild goose chase. You were just setting up your story at that point, weren't you? No. You were right away saying you were going to Holman to talk to Justin Hine, right? I believe right away I said I didn't remember. In the first interviews that day, you were already saying Holman and Justin Hine, right? In the first ones, yes. Well, and in the last ones, right? Not until today we heard anything else. Well, yes. When did you first realize that you weren't going to see Justin Hyman and Holman? Um, a week after. A week after the incident? Yeah. They talked to you on a... I watched... September 22nd? They talked to me on the... Who, who, wait a minute, who talked to me? Uh, Sergeant Ealy and Investigator Leinfelder. They talked to me on the... Thursday before, the or week, Thursday of the accident, yeah. And a week later, you realized you made some mistakes? I didn't realize that I made mistakes. I realized that I had different stories. Well, because you knew at that point they talked to Justin Hyman, and that story wasn't going to work. No, that wasn't why. He just had a different story? He realized a week after the incident that he had different stories? And he doesn't have any reason why he changed his story. He just told the police right away that he was going to see Justin Heim, even though, according to him, that was never the plan. Then, a week later, he randomly decides to go tell the police he was actually going to Jerry Logging's house, and he has no good reason why he told them the wrong information first? I can't figure out if he's intentionally answering the way he does because he thinks he's helping himself, or if he's just that bad at keeping track of what he said and whether or not he was lying. The jury didn't buy his story, and Todd Kenthammer was found guilty of first-degree intentional homicide. The evidence showed that Todd Kenthammer pulled his car into the ditch, got the piece of pipe out of the trunk, and smashed it into the windshield himself. It's not clear if Barbara had been beaten before they left, while they were driving, after he pulled over, or a combination of the three. But the evidence showed that he hit her with his fists, he strangled her, he hit her two or three times on the back of the head, he either punched her in the mouth or pushed his hand against her mouth forcefully to keep her quiet, and ultimately caused the injuries that killed her. At his sentencing hearing, only one family member took the stand in support of Barbara. Barbara's cousin made a statement, not only asking for the maximum penalty for Todd, but she also shamed the rest of her family for blindly supporting Todd during the entire trial. After Barbara was brutally beaten by her husband, her own family members spent the entire trial sitting behind Todd, rooting for him to be found not guilty. I understand that nobody wants to believe that their family member could do what Todd did, but to completely ignore all the evidence and support the man who murdered your mother, sister, or daughter is almost disturbing. The judge sentenced Todd Kenthammer to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years. They don't generally grant parole to people who they believe aren't remorseful, and in order for him to express remorse, he will need to admit to what he did. So as long as he maintains his innocence, he probably won't get parole. In early 2021, Todd's new lawyer filed a motion for a new trial based on four arguments. The first is that Todd was denied the right to an impartial jury. This is due to the court deciding to have an anonymous jury to protect their identities from the media. 
the fact that nobody ever explained to the jury why they were anonymous apparently made it possible for Todd to look bad somehow. I doubt that will hold up. The second argument was that Todd was denied the presumption of innocence because spectators were forced to sit evenly on both sides of the courtroom. This was because nobody showed up to the trial who was in support of Barbara, so they split the spectators evenly and the defense is arguing that the jury could have taken that as Todd having less support. But the jury isn't supposed to be basing their decision on how many people are in the seats supporting the defendant. The third argument was due to ineffective counsel, and that was for a number of reasons. His defense lawyer was pretty bad, but not anything I've seen on the level of having someone get a new trial over it. The last argument was that the defense claimed that the prosecutors didn't share interviews and records that would have placed trucks carrying metal on the road at the time of the incident. The problem is that the interviews and records didn't say that. Those documents showed that it was possible trucks from a local dump site could have been on the road, but they weren't. The surveillance footage showed no trucks that matched Todd's description on the road around the time of the alleged incident. There has not yet been a response to the motion. If you are a victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will instantly take your browser to a Google search page. In the event the abuser is nearby, you can ensure that you don't get caught trying to get help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility call 911 or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Be safe. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, you can find information on how to do that at thisismonsters.com forward slash support. Thanks again. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell. Your coworkers can tell. Even your parents can tell. Everyone can tell. So, what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So, even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte. But for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month. And you can lock in that price for a full year. 
Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy, and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market, support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22, or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie. Life's full of things we can't depend on, like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CERTAIreland.ie. 